A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Herlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP of Data Mesh Consulting Services at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading sponsor for Trino, the open source project, and Jamak's Data Mesh book, delivering data-driven value at scale. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Sean Kaiser, Principal Data Engineer, and Gustavo Drakenberg, Delivery Lead at ThoughtWorks. Both have worked on multiple data mesh engagements, including with Glovo starting two plus years ago. So some key takeaways and thoughts from Gustavo and Sean's point of view. Number one, it's very easy for centralized governance to become a bottleneck. Make sure any central governance team or board that is making decisions has a way to quickly work through backlog through good delegation. Not every decision needs deep scrutiny from top management. Number two, to do federated governance right, you need to enable the enforcement, or often more appropriately the application, of policies through the platform wherever possible. Take the burden off the engineers to comply with your governance standards and requirements. Number three, domains should have the freedom to apply policies to their data products in a way that best benefits the data product consumers. So if there are data quality standard policies, the data product should adhere to the standard for measuring something like completeness as an aspect of data quality but their data product might be optimized for something other than completeness when you think about data quality. Number four, the cost of getting anything quote-unquote wrong in data has been quite high because of how rigid things have been. The cost of change was high, but with Data Mesh, we are looking to and finding new ways to lower the cost of change in data. So it is okay to start with policies that aren't complete and will evolve as you move along. 
you know, you want to kind of think about security and, and specific compliance things, but especially when you think about the value add policies, you don't have to get them full 100% where they're going to be, you know, five years from now on day one. Number five, if you have an existing centralized governance board, that will sometimes make moving to federated governance uh, challenging at best. (laughs) So you will need a top-down mandate to reshape that governance board. Look to meet the necessary representation as well across your capabilities. So like product, security, platform, engineering, but to look to not create a political issue if possible. Number six, Look to add incremental value through each governance policy and look to iterate quickly on policy decisions where you can. Create a feedback loop on your policies to iterate and adjust. It's okay to not get your policies perfect the first time. You can adjust them. Number seven, really figure out what you are trying to prove out in your initial proof of value or concept. If it's full data mesh capabilities, that can easily take four to six months, according to Gustavo and Sean. An interesting incremental insight from this conversation, Jamak has warned about organizations trying to scale too fast as an anti-pattern that may result in lots of tech debt or even a failure of your implementation. Another interesting incremental insight, in all of the data mesh implementations Gustavo and Sean have worked on thus far, the initial data product has not had any PII, as adding PII add significant complications, probably beyond what the value add of including that PII would be in most cases when you're first figuring out your data mesh platform when you're first building it out. Number 10, your data mesh implementation team should be one to two people from every necessary capability. Talked a little bit about the capabilities in uh, number five. Number 11, Data mesh is a large commitment, resources, time, focus, etc. So you need to be prepared to fund it for the long haul. This isn't an initial big bang approach, but this is also why you should keep focus on continuous incremental value delivery once you get to delivering your data products to keep up the momentum. Number 12, and finally, you will get things wrong as you move forward with your data mesh implementation. Look to limit the blast radius, but it's absolutely fine and expected that you will learn and improve. Data Mesh gives people flexibility, and flexibility allows for making changes. Set up fast feedback loops and look to iterate rather than trying to get it perfect the first time. Perfect is the enemy of done. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Okay, very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Sean Kaiser, who is the principal data engineer at ThoughtWorks, and I've got Gustavo Drakenberg, who is the delivery lead at ThoughtWorks. And they've worked on um, a large data mesh implementation with ThoughtWorks. I I think they can probably give the (laughs) 
the the customer name since they've been very public about working with ThoughtWorks on this. But um, you know what we're going to be talking about is kind of WTF is federated governance. How does that work compared to what is you know centralized versus decentralized, and then what does federated actually mean? And and is it the same word? It's just a different. Um, uh, phrasing for it, you know, or the same meaning, which I don't think it is, but I'm, I'm excited to dig into what they've done and kind of what they've worked with on a client of taking their governance from not quite as mature to more mature around data mesh and, and what they've learned around that, that we can apply to a lot of other people's implementation. So there's a lot that we're going to dig into and, and we're going to kind of bounce around within this uh, concept around governance and um, I'm excited about that. Uh, but before we jump into that, if you don't mind, uh, Sean and Gustavo, if you could give people a bit of an introduction to yourself, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand. Yeah, super happy to do so. Um, yeah, as uh, Scott mentioned, I'm the principal data engineer here in ThoughtWorks Spain um, in sunny Barcelona. And yes, the the one of the first data mesh implementations we did was with Glovo, and um, we've we continue to work with them, and and we're you know we I think we consider this one of our uh, major success stories. They are doing an excellent job. Um, uh, but since then, we've also worked on several other projects as well, and specifically in the area of federated governance. Um, another thing that I personally am very involved in is the uh, machine learning um, and data science community, um, and also like how that plays inside the data mesh. So I'll actually be doing a um, podcast YouTube with the ML Ops uh, next week uh, on scaling uh, data mesh with machine learning. So pretty excited to get involved in that. Yeah, my name is Gustavo. Thank you, Scott. Uh, I'm a delivery lead at ThoughtWorks. I fulfill the roles of product manager, project manager, whatever needs to get done, um, uh, I help too. And in the past, I was involved in a lot of uh, cloud migration, you know, decomposing big monoliths uh, using domain modeling and, into, and using domain-driven design uh, into the cloud and microservices. And then data mesh came up and got involved with uh, applying data mesh in practice. Uh, back in the day, when I'm talking about like maybe two years, uh, we just had some articles, the blog post, and from there we had to implement with the clients because they were really eager to get it going, something that resonated with them. And so decentralized, creating decentralized architectures and data mesh uh, really are pretty much very similar, a lot of things in common. And that's how we've been involved probably since uh, we started the engagement global and also through other clients uh, in this data mesh journey and helping clients go through this process of like, how do we do data mesh in, in our organization from scratch? Yeah, and, and uh, it's funny with ML ops, there's also a concept of ML loops. I want to kind of get to that around data mesh as well of like what what are some of the anti-patterns and some bad uh, uh, pathways that people have gone down? We probably won't cover that too much in this, but I, I kind of want to do one of those um, like black silhouette things where people with the voice change type of things where people can be really honest about because the people <laughs> who were doing it, you know, it's still bleeding edge, but the people who were doing it were very, very bleeding edge when you were looking at it a couple of years ago and like, trying to figure out how does this work? It's, it's very, uh, there are a lot of really interesting stories there. So, um, but I, I think 
let's start with the um, the kind of big question of what does federated governance actually mean? Does that just mean decentralized? Does that mean you know what? Wh- how does that that concept start to play out? And then we can kind of jump into what that actually means from the implementation side with Glovo and and kind of other clients about what you've learned around that. Um, yeah, maybe I can add my two cents and then Sean uh, can can help me out. So, I mean, we've got different options when it comes to data governance. You can have no governance, maybe centralized governance, decentralized governance, and then we have federated uh, computational governance, with this, which is uh, uh, the latest um, version. And what we've seen coming to many companies is that there is very little governance or decentralized governance, which... It's mostly informal. It's the best attempt to provide some policies and some guidelines, but uh, it's very hard to sync and, and just make all these pieces work. And then you have kind of centralized governance, which you have a very strong board, uh, has a top-down that every policies that have to be enforced and very, very uh, rigid. Um, and on the other side, we have uh, federated computational governance, which we think it's um, something more healthy uh, in the sense, for instance, we don't call the data governance board a board. We call a data governance team because it's a team that facilitates some policies. And then uh, the part of computational is where the platform comes in to provide some tools so that the product teams that are building data mesh products can comply with the policies that the governance board has uh, recommended to keep the company safe, uh, legal, compliant, and out of trouble. Yeah, and I would just kind of add to that, um, just a little bit of background, Gustavo and I as well. He's kind of the yin to my yang. That is to say, um, he's very uh, product-oriented and operational, like with the people and the processes. And I'm very much kind of thinking about, okay, we have this, how do we implement this from a technical perspective? You know, How do we automate these, these policies? And so when I think of federated governance, um, there's the classic definition, um, what Gustavo mentioned, but I also kind of think of a bit of a metaphor, right? Like we, we live in a free society, uh, but you know, we can't you know, break into someone's home, right? So there are some guidelines that we need to abide by, but like with the federated uh, data governance, it's not as specific, right? You have a lot more freedom. So for example, with something like data quality, you may say, okay, there's a policy. And in fact, every data product must have data quality in these four different areas, right? Accuracy, uniqueness, whatever the organization decides. However, we federate out how those metrics are measured, what the formula is, right? That's the responsibility of the domains. So there is some guidance, but in but it's very different from the traditional sense of governance where it's like super specific, like you know, uh, like master data management, for example, right? Like we we don't really try to do anything like that in the federated uh, data governance space. And then yes, there's the computational aspect where, as much as possible, that we can automate within the stack at the platform mm-hmm. or at the data product level, mm-hmm. we absolutely 100% do, right? The, we just don't, we don't, we want the, the policies to exist and the automation to exist. And then we want the data product developers and the platform folks to not have to really think about it, right? We just want it to happen um, 
you know, as part of the self-service infrastructure. Yeah, I was just going to say if you want a practical example, let's say that the governance team will say that your data products need to uh, provide metrics around their data quality. And they might recommend some dimensions uh, that you can be measured. And then platform will provide the ability of measuring those dimensions, right? And then the teams are implementing uh, the data product will use those tools to provide the maybe the metrics that apply better to the data that they're handling and, and comply with the policy that their data products need to have uh, observable uh, data quality. And and I think another aspect that I, I don't think we need to get into today is the whole the computational aspect of like that there is governance around how things are actually created and processed and things like that, which Jamak has talked about. But the tooling around like really good cost controls and things like that and, and measuring that, um, I, I kind of feel like governance is, is such a, a bad word for what governance should be. Because one, it's like, um, it feels like it's, you know, heavy handed kind of governance, but it's also there's like 50 subtopics, like it's, it doesn't make any sense that that it's all one thing. But um, so let's talk a little bit about, um, so if, if I could sum up a little bit of what you're saying, so decentralized would be every domain just controls their own governance. Federated is that it's, it's kind of like, a lot of government structures, right? Where you have centralized rule, you have centralized, you know, like um, in the US, like the federal government, right? Like it's it's actually having these centralized policies and you have centralized kind of rules and things and, and um, you know, maybe not in the US, but in, in uh, functioning countries that you have a good... Um, type of infrastructure that they provide. And then the states themselves can also govern themselves and actually implement a lot of the things and that there's kind of that backdrop and there's that ruling to make it so that they can work together well. And so that it isn't every single, um, you know, this is kind of the experience plane aspect of well, as well of data mesh of that each each time you go to a, a data product, it's not a completely unique experience. And there there are things where you're saying, okay, like how is data quality actually measured? This data product might say, okay, we're focusing our SLAs on X and Y and Z, but like, you know, here is how X and Y and Z are measured in general across everything, unless we very specifically call out, hey, our, our point isn't that this is super accurate versus it is super consistent, right? Of So <laughs> you get the directional measurement. And so we, we understand that we're like, okay, it's kind of like uh, latencies, right? Like when people talk about P99 latency, the way you measure that, it's actually weird because you, you're like every 99 or every 100 measurements, you're saying, what was the 99th? you know, what was the highest one? And then you start to average those. And so P99 doesn't actually mean what P99 means for most people. And so you, you get into that like specifics um, and, and I'm going on way too long about this, but I think it's it's important to, to have people understand that it isn't um, kind of chaos with governance. It's that there is a set of policies and like best practices and that you make it so that it's easy for people to actually 
leverage the governance. You know, you make it so, okay, I can just click what of these columns are PII, right? Or Adidas actually talked about, they have it kind of backwards where all of their columns when they come on are marked as PII. So you have to unmark them. So that that way nothing goes through that's not PII, right? And so you might you <laughs> might say, oh, this column didn't get unmarked, but it's kind of an, an interesting approach. So um, again, I'm going on way way too long, but I, I think this is is an aspect that people haven't really dug into to really talk about the specifics around the language, which is is uh, can get a little uh, frustrating. But I think it's important to 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 kind of lay that as the backdrop. So. I would love to jump into the conversation around maturing somebody's governance, right? Um, not not getting any specific to any any one client or anything like that, but like you talked about the the pathway is kind of a lot of times you come in with no governance. Can you jump straight to this federated computational governance, or do you have to start to centralize so people can understand how governance can, can work and that why the centralization is actually a pain point before you can move to federated? Or, or like, can you start to talk about what you've done with data mesh and, and what's been like successful? And what, what are some some maybe anti-patterns as well to avoid? So very, very broad question there that you could probably all talk about for 20 minutes. But like, let, let's start to, to kind of head in that direction around the conversation. I, I mean, from my perspective, when I think about like the greenfield versus the brownfield, in a way, I actually find it easier to when, when we come into an organization and they don't have any at all. Because that means, you know, we can we can kind of say, okay, well, this is what governance is. Uh, we will have multiple sessions where we'll kind of train. Um, we have different things that we kind of will do and like exercises we'll go through with them, like various like governance activities to be thinking about what the types of things they are going to govern and what is, you know, like, ju- like just enough governance in the federated model um, and how that you know, will will affect the various data products, right? And so I think for me, it's much easier to come into an organization that doesn't have much governance and then help train them up on governance. Um, now, the downside to this is there's quite a lot of work to do, right? So you need to, first of all, uh, explain to them that they need, you know, like a governance team. And one of the things that I think is com- one of the mistakes that's uh, not mistakes, but one of the things that I commonly see that that holds it back, right, is that there's not enough de- like there's not a, like maybe people are 10 percent or 20 percent dedicated to the governance team. And the reality is there really needs to be like one or two people who are like 100 percent dedicated to forming the governance uh, policies and running the different sessions that you have. And, um, you know, just kind of building this this documentation and touching base with everyone, right? Because governance is, first and foremost, like, basically, you know, you want to keep the company out of trouble, right? So if you think at it from that aspect, um, and you can, you can kind of start there with them and just be like, okay, what are the basic things that we need to do to secure the data? Uh, what are the basic things we need to do so that everybody can trust the data and the metrics that come out of that? Um, are things that we can use to make meaningful business decisions, right? So then you you, know, you bring in data quality and metadata management, that kind of thing. And then also, all of the framework of data mesh can drive different policies uh, within the governance board or within the governance team. Um, what do you think, Gustavo? Well, I think uh, 
something that Scott said uh, made me think that, yes, the term governance sounds boring and old and big. And when you do it in practice, it's actually, is it, it's fun. Like in a sense, uh, it's not, um, well, it is hard then to fit all the moving pieces, but in a sense, it's quite practical. It's not as high level theoretical as we might think. When you think of governance, it's a big word, but it's actually, yeah, it's fun. And as Sean mentioned, um, we started with uh, like an MVP of a governance board, right? So what would be the MVP of a governance team for this, uh, for this company? And from there, we helped them, just as Sean mentioned, to come up based on a list of categories that we know that uh, are kind of common in data governance, like which are the ones that they consider are where the top needs in their organization. And from there, we created a backlog of just policies that we needed to create and draft. And at the beginning, Sean and I were leading uh, this board uh, with, the, with the client. And then um, we set up something very, uh, something very simple uh, in terms of a Trello board of just policies, like a backlog, and then the ones that we were drafting the ones that we were in progress and the ones that we're reviewing. And then once that, were, that was done, communicated and then um, stored in a, in a common place and location. So the way it worked is very common to uh, the, what this board, which is a team, operated. It's just like any other team would, but they were just creating policies. Yeah. And I would like to just kind of like highlight that the the communication piece is really important because once they developed a policy, it's really important that there be solid communication to everyone in the organization that, you know, this is the policy, right? That like, cause I, I've seen a lot of situations where like maybe a policy gets created, but the community, but it's not well communicated, right? So then it just doesn't, you know, no one, no, it didn't, no one knows about it. And, and so no one follows it, you know, right. So that, that comms piece is really important, the, the interface. And some of that can be done, you know, at the, at the, the, the team level where you have champions or local representatives that are embedded inside the data mesh teams. Um, and, and they kind of interface with the, the governance team. Um, and so even though they're, they're decentralized, there's still there's still this really a bit of a central or federated governance uh, team that that they're interfacing with directly. So there's like a connection there. When we talk about a team, uh, this is sort of a cross-functional team, let's say, uh, having roles from different areas. So we had representatives from product. So suppose we had a head of product, and if they were too busy and they couldn't join because this a team met kind of bi-weekly they could appoint a representative. But at least there was somebody from product voicing the, the needs of product or the, the view of product. Same for legal, same for security, same for platform, same for just the data organization. So when we had to draft a policy, um, they, would, they would be the champions of that policy, but they would take it back to their teams, get feedback. The other parties would contribute. So it's not that just this team in isolation was uh, setting down the policy. It, it, they were leading the policy creation, but it was creating the policy was collaborative uh, with the main representatives of each area. And one, one thing, so uh, Laura Madsen had talked a little about this, of that the 
governance committee um, is typically very ineffective because you have a bunch of decision makers who don't have the context around this, right? And and I think that that feels right when people really think about this because if it, so, like, how do you? prevent the governance board from being that committee where, you know, there's either a thing of context exchange or there's doing work. But when you try and have high context exchange and high decision um, movement where around people who don't have expertise around a specific thing, either you you have somebody who's making decisions where they have no real idea <laughs> the impact of the decisions or you have people that are, you know, kind of uh, very, very hesitant, rightfully so, to make these decisions. Because if these are big impact decisions, you're, you're heading people for a potentially bad um, path. So would love to hear kind of how you've done that. And then as well, uh, we talked a little bit about the greenfield, but would love to talk about how you're also maybe you can weave that into the brownfield because when you come in and people have these committees, they're already non-functional, right? They've already been gumming up the work so bad. And that's why people, when they think of governance, like many people literally physically shudder. Like if somebody is is like used to trying to do the work and then they start to talk about governance, ineffectual governance, you know, creates more harm than good, even though it does do risk uh, minimization or, uh, but it doesn't add any value, right? It's only about preventing cost or preventing risk. It's not that value add, and, and we want to head towards that value add. Yeah, I think, yeah. So so once upon a time, I did set up a very, I was very, very much a part of setting up a traditional um, data governance board, right? And um, we, we did do a lot of that, right? It was all about like risk mitigation, that kind of thing. And um it, it, in the end, it started to feel like, I would say, like a, like a rubber stamp organization, right? Like things would just come through and you'd be like, okay, okay, okay. Um, and it didn't feel, yeah, it didn't give that that value add. Um, and I would say that one of the tricky things, this is why I said Greenfield is a lot easier, is because when you go into kind of the brownfield where this kind of organization already exists, um, I don't want to, like, you almost have to decompose it, right, in in a way, or like not... You don't want to completely dismantle it, obviously, but you need to change the way it works. And the the first thing is ensuring that you have the correct representation, right? So just like we have representation in, um, you know, in our government bodies, you also need representation in your federated governance board, right? And so you need those local representatives, but you also need people who understand all of the dimensions of data governance, right? And I think that's what's frustrating when we talk about governance, because if I'm a security person, I think about governance from a security perspective, right? I don't think about it from a maybe a metadata management perspective or from a platform perspective necessarily. Um, or like, you know, so so you need each of these kinds of people to be represented in a diverse way on the the team itself, right? So like legal and GDPR, right? Even though they don't do anything technical, they absolutely have to be represented um, in some way, just, just as an example. And so the tricky thing is you really need a top-down mandate when you have to reshape, uh, right? You need, you need upper management support when you have to reshape uh, an already existing, uh, 
like an already existing like committee or, or board, whatever you walk into. Um, uh, uh, otherwise, it, it's very difficult because these people are already decision makers at, at the highest level. And so you might encounter some political pushback that that can be pretty, pretty brutal. Yeah, I was going to say might is probably you, you <laughs> might is an understatement. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and like I, I was writing down just kind of the thought of you've got scar tissue to break through. You've got unlearning, right? It's yeah. easier to learn things right the first way um, than it is to uh, to have to change your habits, especially when the governance board often wields power, right? But if you've got the central governance team that's making these decisions without the proper context exchange, it, it doesn't work. So Gustavo would love to hear kind of your, your same thoughts and, and what, what you've seen, especially around that brownfield. <laughs> so I think one of the pieces that might be missing very often, and I think is the computational part that federated computational uh, brings in. Uh, you got this boards like creating policies, but then it's like, yeah, you should comply with this teams and the teams is like how they 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 they're very busy they're overloaded like how and they're also being pushed to go you know it's uh it, it adds a lot of pressure to the teams and but when you add that computational part from the platform platform already providing the teams the tools that they need they're like ah if i want to comply here are the tools i just have to integrate it with my data product and i'm fine and and it's a benefit for the organization and for the yeah, for the board as well that has uh, got their policies being actually executed. And that adoption can also be monitored. You can potentially automate and have reports where you see how much your policies are being um, followed through in the teams uh, since they're using the platform tools as well. Yeah, I, I talk a lot. And- something that's come up that I hadn't really thought of when I started doing this podcast was how crucial reuse is, especially because what you just talked about, Gustavo, is the concept of reinventing the wheel, right? How do I comply with this policy? I don't know. Versus, hey, (laughs) here's this thing that it shows you exactly what it is. When, When I talk to people about what is a data product, and I am super frustrated, everybody listening publish your damn actual internal definition of what you call a, a data product because there and there's a difference between the technical manifestation and what you would go to for a data product owner for the actual like concept of what is a data product because everybody has to invent this stuff from their own head and so then one it doesn't look the same as you go from a to b to c because everybody has a different interpretation versus if you have that platform capability that, like you said, you just plug it in and, and you say, are we meeting our observational or, you know, our, our data observation uh, observability goals? Are we meeting our data quality goals in, in these different aspects? You know, what are our SLAs? And that then it's like, we're measuring if we're hitting our SLAs. You know, um, when Emily Gorsinski was on, we were talking about like error budget around SLAs and SLOs and things like that. And it's like, are you compliant with this? And if you're not, like, let's get compliant. You know, Dave Coles was on. To, yes, I've, I've had way, uh, I shouldn't say way too many because I, I love having the ThoughtWorks people on, but I've had a lot of ThoughtWorks people on and there, there are more to come. But um, Dave Coles was talking about fitness functions and that you can start to have that as part of your compliance as or your, your governance of 
how well are we actually complying with policy, right? And that that can go back up to the board and say, do we need more more movement? But um, what one thing that that again, you know, Sean, you 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 kind of shyly touched on how political this stuff can get, but when you've got this board that's been running, they've had the power. They are the decision makers, but so often they haven't actually been making decisions or moving things forward because people have lacked context. So I would like to dig into, you know, uh, when Sean and I were talking about, uh, about doing this episode a while back, we talked about like, how do you set up your data governance and then actually be successful? So I would love to hear about like, how do you keep the politics out of it or how do you keep things moving forward so that you can actually make policy decisions and then something happens and it doesn't grind everything to a halt, right? Of how do you keep the politics out of it? And I know it's different for every organization and all that, but like people are are frustrated by this. And then we, I, I'd like to, to, as you, after you answer that, if we can set up ourselves to answer the question of, how do you get kind of going, right? Like, do you have to fully bake all of your governance policies that you'll ever have at the start? Obviously, we know that's not the answer, but like, how, how do you get comfortable enough to move forward? So uh, let's start with the like combating the the natural gravity of the governance board to become a thing to gum up the works and that you can make those policy decisions and keep it moving forward. Yeah, I think... So one of the th- one of the aspects I like to focus on is uh, like high value policies that positively influence the lives of the the technical folks, like right, like the data product developers. And I'll give you an example. One is, for example, uh, interoperability, right? So we have all of these data products, and they all need to be interoperable in some way. Right. And so if we don't write a policy at the governance level that talks about what this interoperability will look like, uh, then the data products are not interoperable with, with each other. Right. Um, so, so maybe they, they all must, you know, use a standard way to like a standard interface of some sort. Right. Or a- APIs must, you know, have the, you know, these following things and, you know, it must be, you know, um, available in backstage or, uh, all data product output data ports must exist in a centralized data catalog. Now, these kind of policies are perfect in the federated space because um, you can automate them, you can put them into tools, um, and then you're also saying very abstractly, you're not saying use tool X, tool Y, tool Z. You're saying it just must be a centralized data catalog. doesn't matter what you use, right? LinkedIn Data Hub or Calibra, like let the developers decide that. Once they re- once people start to realize that there's kind of this feedback loop between like what the policies are are doing and how it's positively affecting their lives on a day to day, if you start with those kinds of policies, uh, you're going to be you, you know suddenly the organization is like oh okay we understand why we need governance right and so if you can start with these high value items um, and I mean, among them also security, uh, right? I think security is one that may not necessarily make the data product developers' lives too much easier, but um, it actually does help guard the 
the company from, you know, different things that, that can happen, right, with audits and, you know, different things with GDPR, that kind of stuff, right? And so that can actually uh, influence other stakeholders. But you just need to say for every policy that you create, it needs to in some way add value, right? And and you can almost quantify things like preventing the company from getting, you know, fines from GDPR or whatever, right? Um, you know, you can kind of you can kind of look at it from that that respect and just just think like for all of these policies, you know, wh- like instead of just thinking about like mitigation, think about what value it adds uh, to whom, right? So it, it's not necessarily just security, but like also different things like the consumers of the data. They'll discover that when they see the data quality, right, and that is a policy that it comes down from the board when they see that you know, in whatever tool you choose, they'll be like, wow, I'm, I really appreciate having that because now I know I can trust the data, right? Also, these people are very busy. The ones that are part of the governance board, they are top people. So it's, I think it's in their best interest to delegate a little bit of the policy creation. Um, so the way we were doing the policies, uh, I think was was... I'm not going to say quite fun, but it was it worked very well on the sense that the board would prioritize the things that they would consider important in terms of the business strategy and also the needs. And from there, they would appoint reviewers, right? And approvers from uh, each of these areas. So we would draft a policy. Somebody will be the champion of that policy. And they would get feedback from all of the other areas. So for instance, from platform, from security, and so on. And... The governance board was more in charge of making sure that this policy was moving through its completion and is reviewing. And then at the end, they will be the final approvers of that uh, of that policy. So that way, you ensure that it's not something that it's so out there that doesn't is disconnected with reality, but um, that it had the input and kind of the buying of the people that put it together. And that later we'll have to comply with. Yeah, I agree. Make them feel like they're part of the process of creating the the policies as well, right? So you're basically getting their buy-in. Yeah. Yeah, and I like that concept because it does keep it moving forward if you can keep the ego out of it, of somebody saying, I have to be involved in all aspects of this. But like, if they can say, hey, I'm going to appoint somebody from my organization, my team, to make sure that this is moving forward appropriately and that they don't and that they can talk to that person and get that context exchange around were the things that we really felt we needed to have in here in here. I, I, I like that of break it down, but still don't try and take the power out of the hands of the people that are up because that's going to cause uh, that kind of feedback uh, of uh, people starting to you know, say, no, 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 you can't take anything out of my own hands. Like, it's like, if you can incentivize them and make it easy for them to hand that over, and that it's the best solution as well, then then that's good. It's always a little bit of a political minefield as when you're first starting. But um, so uh, let, let's talk about, you know, Sean, you brought up interoperability. This is one that comes up all the time. Um when we are thinking about how how we can get to a place where we're comfortable moving forward, right? Um, I've talked to multiple people on this podcast. I just had 
someone um, very recently, uh, Martina Ivanechova from Kiwi.com, and she was talking about, um, can we really call what we're doing data mesh because of X, Y, and Z? And to me, that's, that's you know, they're headed in, the, in, they're on the journey, they're headed in the right direction. When is a data mesh a, a data mesh, you know? When is a man uh, a, a man? You know how many roads must a, a man walk down before he can be called a man, right? Like it's it's these. Does that matter? Does that actually? I, I I don't give a crap. Like people think I I really do about labeling something data mesh versus not data mesh, and it's like it's about the approach. Like what are you actually trying to do, and are you trying to accomplish that versus? Oh yeah, we're we're doing um, we're just uh, doing the data lake house and just calling it data mesh. Well, that's not data mesh, but like how far somebody is down that. Um, it doesn't matter to me, but like when people are thinking about doing their minimum viable, um, you know, proof of concept or their proof of value or minimum viable mesh, which kind of can all intertwine. Like, what do you think about when somebody says, what do I need to do so I can actually move forward? Right. It's kind of like what you were talking about with the policies of like, start with the policy and maybe iterate, but like what, what can you give people the permission? I'm trying to do this with a lot of episodes, give people the permission to say that you're good enough and you can move forward. Right. Like CYA is, is basically what I say. And then beyond that, you can figure out how to add value as you move on. Right. So we mentioned earlier a policy that talks about what is a data product. Right. And, and we kind of discussed that. Now, we have, interestingly enough, even though we have the definition in the book <laughs> of what a data product is, um, even still, we have kind of put to, typically put together a policy of what it means to be a data product. Right. And we do use like the data is like discoverable, addressable, trustworthy, secure. Right. So on and so forth. Right. Those are almost like our that's like our index. And then you kind of fill in, uh, in in more granular detail as it relates to the organization around those like affordances, right? Um, and so, and and that was something that we communicated out to the larger organizations, um, so that they know that the thing that they're building um, is in fact a data product that lives inside the data mesh, right? And and I think you could even go so far as it, like you could talk about interoperability within a document like that. I mean, what do you think, Gustavo? I think it's really important. Uh, that was one of the first things that came up because you know data mesh it's still new and people will be well. I have this pipeline. This is a data product, and I have this other thing. It's a data product, and it's like I don't know about. We need to standardize what it's understood as a data product in the context of data mesh. For everyone and like it was one of the first policies uh, that we created and one thing that we would say is uh the governance board would it's like if you want to play data mesh in this organization these are the rules that you have to comply with um, that's the frame that we set in terms of uh policy making so we started okay so if you want to do data mesh this is and you want to call something a data product it has to comply with all of these characteristics you know, uh, it, it, does it have metrics? Is it observable? Is it discoverable? Uh, does it consume? You know, all these things that um, we know that a data product uh, has. And from then on, keep on adding more uh, context on. Did you have to do that before you started to create initial data products? Or like the chicken and egg of like, do I, what do I have to have in place on my governance side? Because, you know, I think the CYA of having security rules of like, 
don't like I, I even tell some people if you're really, really struggling with security, literally say your initial data products can't contain PII at all. There's no access rules. There's no nothing because you're just figuring out. And, you know, as people say, I need this PII in there because it will add value, then you you have very specific ways for them to get access. But you can't get yourself into trouble in general if you don't have any PII in your freaking initial data products. And it's as you learn how to share. So like what what and that's that's a terrible policy for certain organizations because the PII is the thing that really matters. But like, oh, and by the way, hopefully we've said it a whole lot or I've said it a lot, but PII is personally identifiable information. I assume most people know that, but uh, especially if you're listening to a governance uh, specific episode, but um, like what, what is okay to get started? Like where, where is it okay? What's the line of how mature somebody has to be to actually get going? Yeah, I was yeah, I I was just going to say when we when I when I think about how we started how we kick these off. We concurrently started to build a data product by the way with no PII. <laughs> also, <laughs> that is a common pattern. I just realized that cuz I was thinking back on multiple projects and I was like, do we ever start one with PII? And we haven't. <laughs> because you want to do something really simple at first, right? You don't want to do something hyper complex where you need encryption and you need to you know, do all sorts of things with this with this PII, right? But um, but as we were building the first data product in what we call the incubation period, right, which is the thin slice where you build, uh, you know, the the platform and the initial data product and the orchestration, all of that, uh, we also kicked off the data governance board at the same time. So because, because, and everybody was working very closely together for that first initial incubation phase, we learned as we were also building the data product, what kind of policies we needed to put into place. And um, because we had that, we had people that were working within the data product team, but that were also on the governance board and, and kind of vice versa, right? And people on the platform that were involved in the governance board as we were building this data product for the first time, we actually just kind of learned along the way, it just seemed to happen organically what policies made sense. I mean, there were the given ones like security. Okay, right, cool. Like that's, we got, we got that, right? There are special, there's experts that do that and, and we understood that. And we also knew we needed to kick off um, a, a thread to ensure that we were doing, you know, we were doing GDPR correctly, right? But that happened a, a bit separately from the the other policies like data quality, metadata management, that those policies just happened organically as we were building the first data product in the incubation period. And I think that's one reason like the incubation period can take so long, right? It can take like maybe six months to build your first data product, right? Because you're doing a thin slice where you're setting up your initial version 1.0 of your governance board, right? Version 1.0 of your data product, version 1.0 of your data platform, right? And yeah, it just it just flowed organically by making sure that all of those people were involved in some way in the governance and in the initial building of the data product and the platform. And that came out out of uh, advice that Samak had given like very early on of one of the things that was going wrong with implementing data mesh, which was scaling too fast. So she was saying, start with something very small, like as small as you can, and then take it from there. 
And that was such a good advice. So we, we, we said, okay, that sounds good. And what was the MVP for the platform? What's the MVP for the data product? What's the MVP for the governance board? And that was our first insights. And, and as we were designing, let's say, what that MVP would look like for each of those, we were cutting back, taking it to the smallest and simplest thing that we can do. Even that was very hard, to be honest, at the beginning, very hard, because it requires so much coordination between the team that has to build something, but it actually needs platform to provide those tools and those things to be need to be agreed and, and coordinated and development has to go while maybe the environments are being developed and so on. And as those things are happening, again, the governance board, it's starting and it's meeting. You already see uh, what is going on. And the cool thing about having uh, a small team that's working closely together, even with governance, is that as platform people were involved in setting the policies, they will already be, it's like, oh, this is coming up. I can already start thinking of what tools can I provide to enable people to comply with this thing because they were already in the conversation. It's not like the data governance board showed up and it's like, okay, give me tools to comply for, with this. It's that they were involved in the conversations for the beginning and they were already thinking, oh, we can do this with that, that, and that. So when... When the policy was out there, they already have an, had an idea and a roadmap or of what tools that we're going to roll out to enable people to comply with those policies. Yeah, and, and I think that might the time frame might have been a bit of a hidden lead for a lot of people because I think we've had people on the podcast who they've done their MVP in six to ten weeks, right? And and I think what they're typically proving out is slightly different. And I think it's it's valid to do this. Um, I think it can set you down a path to a little bit more trouble, but that the what they're doing with their proof of value or the proof of concept, if you're proving out a data set is valuable, you're you're headed down a bad path. That's that to me, that's just a terrible anti-pattern. But some people are proving out that they can create a data product rather than they can create a data mesh, right? Minimum viable mesh versus a minimum viable data product. And do we have the capability to even create a data product, even if we are creating things that are kind of purpose-built, but hopefully reusable on the platform side to support this singular data product versus minimum viable mesh? And I think it's it's interesting. I haven't heard that. Like, that Jamak has said that I don't know if that was in private channels or anything of people trying to scale too too soon because we've seen people that have been successful a lot of times they had you know uh, Khan Chow comes to mind at Northern Trust he talked about they were doing a thing with data services and it was taking them two to three months for each new data service and so they were relatively mature in the concept of creating what should be data products, but weren't because then the consumer still had a very high amount of, of, uh, work and total cost of ownership to actually take something from the service and actually consume it in the way that mattered. And then, you know, their data cleansing and quality and all that stuff wasn't getting pushed back into the service. So if another person consumed from the service, they had to do that same work, which is again, what we're trying to not do with data mesh, but they had already matured to a point where they said, we need this. They've thought through a lot of the things. And so when they moved to doing their, their POC, 
it was a much shorter time to becoming mature, right? Like they already had a lot of the, the conceptual infrastructure and a lot, they had done a lot of the work. It just hadn't been paying off. And then once they moved to data mesh, they were like, oh crap, it's not two to three months. It's two to three weeks. And it's like the quality of these is five X, you know, the total cost of ownership for the consumers of what the data should be to when the point of consumption is now zero instead of they had to extract the data and then prepare it for their own consumption, right? That you can push that more and more upstream. So, but I do think that, that there are people that are really looking to jump too soon. And again, sorry, I'm, I'm talking too much because you're just sparking way too many. And th- this ties together, you know, uh, like I said, I've done, uh, th- this is probably close to uh, interview number 90. So um, I've done a whole heck of a lot of episodes and uh, it's tying together so much because so much of what you're saying makes so much sense of things that are just falling into place. So I, w- I would love to to kind of talk about how you've you talk about that you have this tight coordination. There are a lot of organizations that aren't mature enough to do that. So if they were to say that they want to head down the data mesh path, what would you say to them? Would you say that you have to mature your organization to a a place where you could have this tight coordination for six months? Or would you say, figure out how to, how to do your, your data products and, and that you're going to have a little bit on the platform side, but it's really, you know, look for the reuse, but it's it's okay to not be that mature at that point. Like, what would you tell them? You know, and and not saying that this is the canonical ThoughtWorks answer or this is the only answer for all time, but like, what would you push back on them if they were saying we're not? Ma- if you saw somebody who wasn't mature enough to have that level of coordination for that that period of time, because most organizations, I don't think, can it devolve into chaos. Yeah. Right, because the the argument is always, well, we have business as usual that needs to keep, you know, the show must go on, right? Um, I mean, I would say uh, start small, right? So, so still, like, try to pick one to two people from each of the the layers, right? So, if it's like a house at the top, you have the governance, right? The roof protects the the house, right? In the middle, you have your data product developers, right? So they're, you know cooking, you know, living in the those different rooms, which are different data products. And at the base, you have your foundation. So a couple of platform developers. And at the very least, say, hey, push for this small team just to like bootstrap or like kickstart uh, your your data mesh, right? Um, and, and so maybe, you know, you can kind of try to negotiate um, just a, a smaller group um, uh, over, over a period of, I would say, what do you think? Gustavo, like like a, maybe a quarter, you could probably get away with like three to four months, right? Something like that. Um, and 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 I think that and 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 if you pick a simple source aligned data product mm-hmm. that doesn't have PII, mm-hmm. I that that would be a really great starting point. That's a way to kind of like get your feet wet, uh, understand every layer, and then also pull in like bring the bring people from all those separate layers together um so that they they understand and then when they finish this they go out and evangelize it to their respective teams right so you they're you're kind of training the trainers in some ways um and so in that way it can kind of uh like spider through the organization 
like if you just wanted a way to kind of get like kickstart something um and and bring in right because i would also say that we do a lot of evangel like internal evangelization as we, as we go through this uh the, i've done many uh many a, a different uh um you know kind of presentation of like this is where we're at this is something we did on governance or this is how we synchronize the platform and product teams and we do we always talk about it right we put it in the slack channel we do um you know different kind of like videos or whatever so that people can watch and they know what's going on yeah, I really like what you said, Scott, about the different levels of like POC, MVP, and MVP of a data mesh, because that's the the way we've also seen it uh, in practice. There are some uh, clients that maybe they want to get a taste for they, they're not sure they want to get a taste of data mesh. So we do a short POC, which might involve doing a, a data product with some basic capabilities. And then, which is what Sean mentioned, and then you can do an MVP for a use case that might involve several data products. That's another level. And then the other one is an MVP of a thin slice of what would be the data mesh. You would do an MVP for a use case, an MVP of governance, and, and the same for, for platform already performing as a data mesh uh, platform team. And also to touch on what Sean said, and I was thinking as uh, you asked that question about where to start. One of the challenges that uh, we find as well, if you want to do microservices today, everybody's kind of know what a microservice is. Like they know the APIs, the different technologies, everybody's well aware and it's just a, a conversation of, all right, how do we decompose this and how do we implement it in our organization? In this case, this is so new that we spend a lot of our time explaining, teaching, coaching, and then you have maybe a little piece of the organization that they have the right mindset and so on. And then how do you disseminate that knowledge throughout the organization? So currently it's growing organically uh, within the data mesh communities and also within an organization that's implemented data mesh. We, are, we try to pair people from another team so they can start learning on how they do it. So then when they move to their domain, they have the knowledge. I personally had to coach uh, several teams because you, know, you have product managers that need to learn how to manage data products using product management. Then, uh, you know, platform, Sean worked very closely with the platform folks and, and data product teams to help them figure out their, their, their right architecture. So it's really a combination of educating, uh, teaching about data mesh and the concepts. And then now that you understand what it is, how do we put in practice within this organization and at what level? To do a full-scale implementation, you really need... Um, a big commitment from leadership because this will require uh, an investment of, you know, of people that will have to be allocated to that. And, and, and again, just if you were running today a monolith and you wanted to do decompose that into microservices, you would have to add additional capacity to do that work. Uh, it's not going to happen with the same people that are keeping it running. Yeah, I, I think that um, I, I talk about if you're giving people additional responsibilities without additional resources, that's a dot, 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 not nice move, right? I'd probably use a different phrase than not nice if I weren't on the podcast. But um, And, and it's kind of interesting because um, I would look to the pragmatism in practice episode, uh, I mean, as well as my episode with Scott Hawkins from ITV, but um, the head, I can't remember his name, but the head of uh, data at ITV was on an episode of Pragmatism in Practice with uh, Kimberly Boyd and Danilo Sato. And 
ITV uses the consultant in a box model, right? Or a consulting team in a box model. So they actually have this, this group of kind of floating, you know, 15, 20, 30 people that they bring in to a team. And so it gets them to producing a data product sooner because they're the ones who are doing a lot of the development and and maturing that team very quickly. And so they've got this kind of capability that they can drop in in a lot of places. And it doesn't sound like you're doing that quite as much as, as training of this is somebody who's coming in and doing the actual like very specific work and is very focused on upskilling and then just moving team to team to team. And then as well, um, Sean, you've kind of tipped yourself against um, once I finally get my survey out there, which I've been working on this for too long and I need to just get going. But my getting started survey, you've tipped your hand on one of my key questions of how many data products do you start with, right? You've said one over and over. There are a lot of people who say, no, you've got to test it at interoperability or you've got to find a use case. And there, there's this emerging pattern that I think has some problems, but of creating a purposeful kind of data swamp where you share your data so people can see what data could be on offer. Use cases emerge from that and then they push it back into the um, the uh, data producers and say, you need to serve this use case. But that's a consumer-driven uh, or a consumer-aligned data product when there isn't a source-aligned data product to it. So that can cause issues because you have to create kind of micro-source-aligned data products where you might only have a little bit of data that flows into this thing and you've got multiple of those and it can cause issues, but it also gets you to a, a high value use case where you know there is a direct registered consumer up front. So just it's, it's a lot of interesting things, again, where you're, you're tying through a lot of these, these really helpful patterns to think about. Uh, and I think a lot of what you're talking about, uh, and when you talk about the, the big commitment as well, something that's come up for me lately is data mesh. A lot of this is people think about it as an initial investment. The initial investment is to build momentum and you have to start securing wins so that you can prove your value to get, you know, incremental investment because it, it's continuous investment. So you need to drive continuous value. But a lot of people try to go for too ba big bang of an approach. So you have to ask yourself internally, are, are we going to be able to stick this out for six months with a decent amount of investment if you're going to be proving out minimum viable mesh from the, the start versus can we get to just a smaller data product that's going to prove this out that can prove out we can do this? So again, you're, you're just tying through a lot of things. I, I I shouldn't be taking up all the time on this. I would I would actually like to do like a, a follow-up where I just do a, a, a 15 minute summary of this episode or whatever. But um so we've talked about a whole lot of different things. I think a good place maybe to wrap on, unless you've got other topics that you wanted to make sure we cover, but about um, what part of governance do you think should live in the platform itself versus at the product level, right? It sounds kind of like you're saying the decisioning, you know, the policies should be at the platform and they should be enforced via the platform. And offered as affordances via the platform, not just like you comply with this, but like, did you comply checkbox, but that you make it so that people can comply easily. But like, what do you think lives at the product level versus the platform level? 
I'm going to be kind of opinionated on this and say as as much of that as you can meaningfully perform at the platform level, I think is the the better approach, right? Um, that being said, there are certain things like uh, think about like tagging of the data, right? I mean, sometimes that's something that someone at the data product level they know the data, they're part of the domain, only they probably know how to appropriately tag the data. That's probably not, I mean, you can make it available that you can add tags at the platform level, right? But at the end of the day, the, the data product team is going to have to you know, fill in that. So uh, anything that's specific to the data or, or nuanced, it's probably gonna be at the data product level. But those things that are more general, such as like security, encryption, that kind of thing, those are going to be at the, definitely going to be at the platform level. Because the I, the reason I say this is because there is this, so you're the governance here, right? So not only are you responsible for creating policies, you're also responsible for monitoring that these policies are being followed and for, for a certain amount of auditing, right? So you need visibility. And it's much easier to get that visibility at the platform level um, than it would be to try to extract it from each of the individual data products, right? So think about like access control of data sets and, and different logs like that. Um, most of that, you're they're going to need to prepare reports or have dashboards available uh, from the platform up to the, the governance level. So suppose, uh, again, coming back to the, the larger schema, the governance board said you need to have data quality measures, you know, some SLOs. And the platform tool, the platform will provide these tools. But then suppose that you're building a data product related to financial data. You know, you need that to be, <laughs> completeness needs to be 100% because you need to account for every, every, every penny, you know. But maybe if you're building a data product that, um, that just, you just want to provide information for a product manager to take, make a decision, uh, and just add, an overall trend that is happening with the application, like very quickly uh, in the funnel or something like that, um, then freshness might be more important uh, for that data product than completeness. So that's where the the, the product teams get to sort of uh, customize what makes more sense for them. Yeah, I think that determination of SLAs, Emily Gorsinski in a webinar from kind of mid last year talked about they had one place where they had um, two different data products that were the exact same data product, but one had very, very, um, you know, uh, very quick freshness. What, how, I don't know how you say high versus low freshness, but, you know, it was like a five minute freshness, um, but it had low accuracy, like 90% accuracy because people needed it with that. But then there was another one that was 99.99% accuracy, but two hours freshness. And instead of trying to get one in, you know, to, to hit both, that would have meant three X the cost from having two that are doing the same thing. And, and that, yeah. So I think that's, that's, uh, very crucial. So again, I, I do apologize to listeners. I, I wish I would have spent more time with asking you questions, but so much of this stuff is just, you, you, you dropped so many things into place for me. So I really appreciate that. Um, is there anything that we didn't cover that you think we should have, whether we could do it on a future episode or anything that you would want to do that? Or is there any way that you'd like to, to wrap up the episode, any kind of button or anything you'd like to put on the episode? 
So I would just like to mention one thing that we didn't cover, but I think it will be interesting for the listeners is kind of team size when you're thinking about developing this MVP for a mesh. Just having like three or four people in the governance board, a team of maybe six data engineers and a product manager for the data product team, and maybe four people in platform with strong leadership uh, platform roles, that could be for six months, a good team to create uh, one or two data products to have an MVP. But then when you develop the platform capabilities and we started to scale, the time got reduced to maybe the first time to three weeks and we just somebody that will be performing as a data product manager and maybe two data engineers, you know, like uh, BI engineers. And, and then as more capabilities kept on going, like the times got even shorter to produce a data product. So the the amount of time at the beginning uh, is a little bit painful, but then you start to reap the benefits uh, uh, moving forward. Yeah, I'd like to, I, I actually, I kind of have something I'd like to um, piggyback off that because yeah, that's exactly also how it works at the data, at the, the governance level, right? Um, at, at first it, really does take uh, a lot of effort just getting everyone together, setting the ceremonies for the meetings, you know, compiling the team and, you know, thinking about like how everyone's going to interface and what the communications are. Um, and, and building that first policy is probably the most difficult, right? And so once you, once you realize like what how you want to operate um, at the governance, at the federated governance level, and you start to understand the nuances between, um, you know, federated and, and what we think of like traditional governance, um, then things really start get to getting to rock and roll, right? You, you start to, you know, come up with all these different policies. You start to get feedback from the platform and you get feedback from the, the data product developers about the kinds of policies they would like to see. And before you know it, you have a nice little backlog and you're just kind of churning through things. But um, it's not easy and it's multidimensional. So don't get discouraged. Um, just head down um, and and focus on the things that, you know, that are going to yield the highest value at the at the governance level. Um, and and help you enable your mesh. Well, and, and I think one thing that's come through in a lot of conversations, including this, that that could be said out loud is it's okay to get things not right the first time mm -hmm. because evolution in data, the cost of evolution, I just did a, an episode about, you know, what have I learned? The cost of change in data has been massive historically changing anything has been such a massive pain, friction, everything like that. And we have to get ourselves to a place where that isn't the case, but we've got scar tissue as well to move through, right? We've got to work through. So that's where you're talking about the greenfield versus brown field. There's scar tissue, like people have, have had bad governance situations. And so they're like, oh, this thing is, is terrible. So I, I think that's, that's as well that don't get discouraged of like, it's okay to not get it right. CYA, cover your butt. But like, like you know, from a security and, and that standpoint, I think that that's what I'm, I'm getting from you. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that's what I'm getting as well. Is like, it's okay to move forward with a little bit of uncertainty. You have to embrace am ambiguity and change to, to move forward with data. Yeah, we definitely, uh, the first talk that we had with our teams as we start is like uh, play, learn, 
Um, there are a lot of things that you're not going to know and, and probably not going to get right, but it's part of this because it's something uh, quite new at the moment. It's, it's again, like if you created a data warehouse, the cost of change of it, an enterprise data warehouse is so high that we're getting like data mesh is about that, getting rid of that cost, right? And so yeah. we have to figure out exactly how to do that, but people are still just like, I don't know. I don't know. So, um, well, again, uh, as you can probably tell from how excited I am, this this was a phenomenal episode. I really enjoyed the conversation. And like I said, you you crystallized a lot of my thoughts. I know you said a couple of times, oh, you made me think about this or, or this. But like this crystallized so many things for me. Um, I'm sure there are going to be a lot of people that want to follow up with you. Um, where is the best place to do that? What do you want people following up with you about? Uh, LinkedIn, in my case. I'm available there. Yeah. Um, for me, I think LinkedIn is is the the easiest way. And yeah, I mean, uh, hey, if, if you need help telling your data mesh story, uh, Gustavo and I are available. Yeah. So just yeah, uh, yeah. hit us up on LinkedIn. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, again, uh, Gustavo, Sean, this has been so great. So thank you so much for the, the time today. And thank you as well, everyone, for listening. All right. Thank you. Thank you. I'd again like to thank my guests today. Gustavo Drakenberg, and Sean Kaiser of ThoughtWorks. You can find links to their LinkedIn profiles in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.